Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Good morning, good morning. It is always helpful for me um, to stop, and I always think everybody's like me, but not everybody is, but it's always helpful for me just to kind of stop and take inventory of where we've been and where we're going. We are at the halfway mark in our class, and over the last several weeks, what we've been doing is we're laying a foundation to grow in our Bible literacy and our study of God's Word. Um, so remember, the Bible is a book about God, and every time you come to the Word of God, it should be with the goal to know God more, not just for knowledge's sake, not just to know more facts and information, but our goal is to know a person because knowledge of God, it also leads to a knowledge of who we are. As we look at who God is, as we look at what God is like, what God has done, what God is doing, it helps to prepare the way for us to then make application for our own lives. So Bible literacy, it leads the way and it paves the way for personal transformation. And we've said we cannot grow in personal holiness without being transformed through the Word of God. Um, so one of the ways that we do that, we talked about the one big story of the Bible, the whole Bible. It tells the story of God's rule and God's reign through creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. But we said each individual book, it tells a smaller story, a story that is part of the larger story of the Bible. And so last week we talked about the patience and the tools that we need to begin understanding any given part of the Bible. Um, and we talked about the process of exegesis, which is just examining the original meaning of a passage by going back in time to the time that the text was written to try to hear it with the ears of the original hearers. Before you can hear it with your ears, exegesis asks you to hear it with their ears. So it asks you to take on the perspective of the author and the audience in the original setting. So what are the five questions that we talked about last week that are part of exegesis? What's the first question we need to ask? Who wrote it? Who wrote it? Yep. Then what do we need to consider? When it was written, good. What else do we need to think about? <laughs> to whom it was written, good. To, good. The style, the or genre that it was written in, good. And then what's the last question? Why? What was the purpose for which it was written? So once we've answered those questions, that um, sets us up with the right perspective that we need to actually begin studying and learning from the text, studying to learn from any given book of the Bible. And so what we're going to be teaching over the next two weeks is going to be different than if you were to do a formal Bible study, okay? A formal Bible study with written Bible study materials. A formal Bible study, what it does is it asks you to read a portion of the text and then reflect on it by answering questions. 
And most of the time, what those studies are designed to do is they will guide you in the proper interpretation and application of whatever text that you're studying. And for the most part, this is how we encourage ladies to learn and grow at Faith Bible. We, every fall and every spring, we offer formal organized Bible studies. And those um, studies that we put together, they're helping you, they're guiding you in the proper interpretation and application of the text. We really believe in growing together, studying God's word corporately, um, but there are times, there are seasons where we're just not able to study with other people. And, and the Bible is about a God that we can know. And so we want you to be equipped to study God's word, even if you don't have formal Bible study materials that are already written for you. And so this process is going to ask you as the student to be the one to own the text, okay? And then after you've read it and you've attempted to interpret it, then you will look to other people for their thoughts and their opinions on it, okay? So I work part-time in a dentist's office. And years ago, we hired a consultant who came in to help us grow um, while we were having growing pains, right? And we um, had challenges in our workplace and we just needed solutions. And so what we did is we thought an outside perspective would be helpful to us. And one of the first things that the consultant did is he came in and he gave us a process. He gave us new systems so that in any given situation, any given employee was doing things the same way, answering questions with similar scripting and following the same kinds of procedures. And I have already told you this, I'm a rule follower by nature and, and I love structure. So I really thrived in this environment. It was very, very helpful to me. But there were other people in our office, other employees, that really felt creatively constrained by this new model. Um, they wanted just a little bit more freedom. And what we found um, in our new office structure was that the scripting and the systems and the processes, it really did make our workflow um, problems better. It really did improve communication amongst our team members. It resulted in happier patients and less overall confusion. It resulted in less mistakes and better overall consistency. But what we found, the longer that we practiced the systems and um, that design, we found that there was room within it, within the structure for personality. And as we got more and more comfortable with the systems, we began as individuals to adapt the scripting so that it felt more natural to us and less rigid. We were still doing similar things in similar ways within those guidelines, but there was freedom then for us to navigate with what really worked well and build upon that for us as individuals. And so what we're teaching over the next two weeks, I want you to think of it as a process and a tool but it is more like a building project than it is a creative arts project. And so some of you here this morning, you will buck against the structure of a process. You will feel constrained by that. But if you were building a house, you would want someone who observes a process and not someone who thinks that building codes are just good suggestions. And that's what we're aiming for too. We are building on a process that is gonna promote Bible literacy, okay? and not 
just subjective, what does this mean to me kinds of thinking. And so in order for us to do that, we're going to work through three um, components as we try to understand any given text. And so in your notes, your first blank is a good literacy builder, which is who you are, a good literacy builder honors the learning process by moving through three distinct stages of understanding. Would somebody, it's not in your notes, but would somebody look up for me and read 2 Timothy 2.15? Somebody do that quick and handy. Second Timothy 2.15. It is in my notes? Mm -hmm. Well, hey, <coughs> would you read it for me? Okay, we are studying in order to rightly handle the word of truth, and that's what this process is going to help us do. So there are three different components um, as we work through our understanding of a text. The first one is comprehension. And we are going to talk about comprehension this morning, and then next week, we're going to study um, the next two. So understanding through comprehension is your next blank. Um, next week, we'll talk about interpretation and application together. Those are the second, the two and three components. Okay, so comprehension is going to ask you to think about what does the text say? What does the text say? Um, years ago, when I first came to Faith Bible Church, I took a weekly Bible study that was taught um, by Carol Wells. It was called Precepts. And some of you might be familiar with Precepts Ministries. Um, Precepts has a very similar first step that they call observation. So Jen Wilkin calls it comprehension. Precepts calls it observation. While there are some slight differences between Jen's method and Precepts Ministry, I think overall the components are the same. So if you're familiar with Precepts, they align very, very closely. But Jen says in her book that observation and comprehension are not the same. Observation, she says, can be subjective and it connotates a casual perusal in which I pull out details and thoughts that seem significant to me as I read. She says, but comprehension, on the other hand, is more objective. It seeks purposefully to discover what the original author intended me to notice or ask. She believes that overall, comprehension is probably the most neglected part of Bible study because we assume that reading a text and absorbing a sense of its message is the same thing as comprehending it. And she says it's not. So really, what comprehension asks me to do is just stop and consider, have I really processed the information that I've read? Have I processed the information that I've read? And so comprehension is going to require that I really slow down when I read a text. It's going to require me to stop and pray, to ask God to help make his word understandable. And here's kind of how this plays out. If you were to read Genesis chapter 1 in your study, if you were going to comprehend the text, you would be able to tell specifically 
what happened on each day of creation, as opposed to just observing that God was busy doing the work of creation in six days. Okay, so you would be able to detail out what happened on each one of those days of creation. The first step of comprehension, what it does is it prepares the way for us to be able to interpret and apply the story of creation later to our lives. Um, in her podcast, uh, her Women of the Word podcast, Jen Wilkin, um, she gives the example of the Ten Commandments in Exodus. Okay, and she said, you might know all ten of the Ten Commandments, but she says comprehension would ask, do you know them in order? Do you know how they fall? She said comprehension would notice that some of the, the commandments that are listed are given more word space. There, there's more said than other commandments. And so she says really what comprehension asks you to do is just sit on a text and think about, consider what natural um, questions come to mind. To think about, is the order significant? So if we think back to our Genesis 1 example, you would know as you read through Genesis chapter 1 that on some days of creation, God was forming, other days he's filling, okay? So a question you might naturally consider is, why is it that God, when he created the sky, did not also create the birds to fill the sky? You know, you're just thinking about what natural questions come to mind. And you're starting to lean toward interpretation without getting all the way there, okay? So it does begin to lean that direction. And there are six different tools that Jen Wilkin lays out in her book um, that you can use to help you with the comprehension piece of the puzzle. So as you think through these six steps, you might even see how we made changes last year, if you were part of our Ephesians and Colossians study, we made some changes on day one to start beginning to have you dip your toe into this type of study. So the first, um, the first tool of comprehension is a printed copy of the text. And typically speaking, your Bible um, doesn't have room for, all, for you to take notes or mark words or phrases or ideas. And so what we've done is to model this is we've given you a copy of 1 Peter, a printed copy of 1 Peter. One of the things that got lost in the editing of um, the text that we printed is that really it's best to print it out in a 12-point font that is double-spaced. And I don't think we double-spaced yours. Um, but this is going to give you room to be able to write directly on the text to, to mark things. Um, and it's also going to keep you from looking at study notes, which would be other people's thoughts on the text as you're beginning to try to comprehend it. So the first thing you start off with is a printed copy of the text. And then the second um, part is repetitive reading. Okay. Repetitive reading, it's a critical tool in our attempt to build comprehension because we do have gaps in historical and cultural and linguistic styles. The modern day reader isn't able to have the ability to understand everything that the author intended in just one reading. So the first step would be just to begin reading the text several times from start to finish. You have already armed yourself, if you've answered the, the exegesis questions, 
um, you've already armed yourself with the information that you need um, to have right understanding and the right perspective on the text. So repetitive reading is just going to open the door for you to begin to hear it with the ears of the original hearers. And how many times you should read the text, there is total freedom. There's not a one right way. There's nothing set in stone. Um, so how this plays out in my own life. In April, when our ladies' Bible study ends, I begin reading um, whatever book we're going to study in the fall. I just begin reading it over and over, kind of like a book. I, my goal is to try to get through it a couple of different times. And I just read, I just read it. So we're going to be studying Genesis in the fall. And so April and most of May, I just spent reading through Genesis. And I think I've read it through it three times from start to finish. You know, maybe I stopped at chapter 10 and then the next day I read like four, you know, whatever. But I just read it. When I finished it, I just started it again. Um, but then June and July, I've just concentrated on Genesis chapter 1, and I'm reading Genesis 1 over and over and over again. Every day I'm in Genesis 1. With this First Peter study, what we've asked you to do is for two weeks, we just asked you to read through First Peter as many times as you could during that time. So maybe, maybe you read it twice, maybe you read it three times, whatever. There's not a one right way, but you're just wanting to familiarize yourself with the text. And then, um, you know, stay in just the one chapter. When you, when you work through this process, um, you're not going to be working through the whole book at once. You're just going to be like in 1 Peter 1. And then when you work through all the steps, comprehension, interpretation, application, then you'll move on to chapter 2, if that isn't clear. So the whole point is that the more you read a text slowly, even if it's a text that you're overly familiar with, the more detail you're going to begin to notice. So the point is not how many times you read it, but repetitive reading, it really does offer you the benefit of becoming familiar with the text. And also, it guides you towards scripture memory. Because if you're not someone who um, can memorize scripture easily, repetitive reading, it is going to help you internalize the word of God. And so the more you read through a book or a lengthy passage, the more it is be going to become familiar to you. And so even if you're not seeking to do application as part of that reading, you'll be surprised at how often those scriptures come to mind. One of the things I like to do as part of our ladies' study is um, there's another woman, she and I usually memorize a passage of scripture. So whatever we're studying, when we studied Colossians, we memorized a chapter in Colossians. And just as you're working on scripture memory or reading it over and over, however you work through scripture memory. It's amazing how you're convicted and you're prompted and you think about those words. That's just meditating on the word of God. And so repetitive reading really is a form of just meditating on the word of God. It's not asking you to do any kind of meaning, interpretation of meaning, or applying truth yet application. It's just internalizing the word of God. And so you think about this step kind of as an introduction. Like the first three or four conversations you might have with somebody that you're getting to know. You are looking for detail um, so that you can tell someone what you've read after reading it, giving directed attention to the text until it is memorable. So for every person, that's going to look a little bit different. So the third step then is annotation. Okay, 
After reading through your text, you're going to begin marking it to get a better feel for what it says. And this is just asking you, have a natural curiosity about whatever it is that you're reading. One of the things that I like to do when I'm working through this part of the text is I like to have colored pencils. That just helps me um, with this process. You may not do that. That's totally fine. There's total freedom. Um, but what, here's what you're looking for as you're annotating the text. You're looking for, are there certain words or phrases or ideas that are repeated? So you wanna use your colored pencils, if you're a colored pencil or pen kind of girl, um, to mark those things distinctly on your printed copy. And you will develop your own patterns for notations, um, but whatever you do, just make sure that you're consistent. You know, through the whole book, you wanna be consistent. So if you're looking at First Peter, just for example, one way that this kind of might play out is it starts off and it says, um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So when I start working through that, on, on one day, I might just give attention in my time with the Lord that day to Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I come up with is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so I, what I did is I just lit, my notation is a little red cross. And I just went through and I marked every reference to Jesus. And then at the end of that day, and this is just where there's a building process, but there's room for personality. I then go through and I just make a list of everything that the passage taught me about Jesus Christ. So I just list out, you know, um, save through his blood or, you know, whatever it is that I learn through this. Sometimes, given my time constraints, I might mark a text and look for that and think about that on one day and then the next day, I go through and I work through that. You could, your system might be totally different than mine and there's total freedom for that. So words that are repeated, ideas, phrases, mark them. Then are there two places? Sometimes the text has two cities that are listed. Um, your Bible has maps in the back. Look up those cities. Are, what is the distance between them? You know, sometimes we gloss over things like that as if it's, it really has no meaning, but sometimes that distance or they're listed there, it's significant. So you just, again, a natural curiosity about whatever it is you're reading. Mark any attributes of God. Um, are there attributes that are celebrated or illustrated? Write those in the margin or uh, maybe note them distinctly. I like to mark references to God and to Jesus and the Holy Spirit differently because sometimes we can put all three of them is this is what God, who God is in the passage. But sometimes, you know, especially in this one, there's distinctions that are that are significant in First Peter where he's talking about the role of God, the way the, the Holy Spirit works, the way that Jesus, um, who Jesus is in the passage. And so I, I personally like to just mark those things distinctly. Does the text make, make several points in a row? Um, that's another thing to look for. So if, if a text, say, would say, be holy as I am holy, and then a, another paragraph down, be holy as I am holy, and again, be holy as I am holy, is, there, um, is the repetition um, significant? 
I would ask a question about that. So I would mark those. And, and she says, just number each one as you're introduced to it in the text. Are there any kind of lists that are, that are mentioned? And then have a curiosity about, is there an order to it? Or is there, do they form some kind of progression? Just like we talked about with creation um, in Genesis 1. You know, is that order of things significant? Um, the Ten Commandments, the way that the Ten Commandments move, is there a progression there? You know, I'm just, just noticing things in a list. And then are there any words that you don't understand? If so, mark those things with a question mark so that you can go back and you can look them up um, in, a, in a dictionary. And then you want to also recognize words like if, then, any kind of transition words. Therefore, likewise, but, because, in the same way. And you can draw arrows um, to how those concluding thoughts connect to wherever they begin the argument. And then you're just looking, is there anything that's confusing to you? Write your question about it in the margin so that you can go back and you can address it at a later time. So as I've been studying Genesis 1, I'm going to be lecturing on Genesis 1. When I started this process, one of the things that I noticed on my copy of the text is that before you get to, I think it's verse 3, where God says, let there be light, um, it talks about how the earth is void and there was darkness over the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then I go, let there be light. But the more I read this, I started thinking like, wait a second. Water, the deep, what does that mean? Was that there before God started creating? Is, that, is this really chronological in how this is laid out? I don't know. So I've marked that with a question mark. And when I get into the interpretation stage, that's one of the things I'm going to be looking for to try to figure out because I've never noticed that before. But the more I've read the text, that didn't make sense to me. Like, oh, there was nothing, but there was water. I don't know what that means. So you're just really having a natural curiosity. Then your fourth step is to have an English dictionary. And you may not have a dictionary at home, but you're your phone um, probably does. Um, and so don't feel, <laughs> thank you, um, don't feel like you need to have like a Hebrew Greek lexicon. Um, in English words are typically chosen with great care by translators. And so even just looking up a definition, it will help you, um, it will help you and enhance the text for you. Um, one of the ways that we kind of move through comprehension very, very quickly is assuming that we know definitions to words um, that we're reading. So for sure, a word like propitiation, you might come to that and go, I think I know what that means, but I don't really know what that means. So that would be an obvious one that you might want to look up. But don't neglect words like holy, um, sanctify, honor, or perseverance. Just by slowing down and considering the meaning of key words or unfamiliar words, you're going to be moving toward greater comprehension. Um, a while back, my husband and I were doing <clears throat> marriage counseling, and he taught through um, Psalm 32.5 on the pattern, what he called it was the pattern that David gives us for repentance. And Psalm 32, 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so Justin taught through that, but I was really thinking about what he taught in counseling and thought, do I, when I repent, do I follow this pattern? And, and one of the things that I went home and did is I looked up the definition to sin, iniquity, and transgression. Because David was very intentional. There are three separate, they're all sin. They all are ways to describe sin, but those are very distinct differences. And so if you look up those definitions of words, it really changes how you repent and things that you repent for and what David is saying in that passage. So don't neglect words that seem overly familiar to. I mean, we know what sin is, but when I looked at it in that context, it really took on a different, a different meaning. Okay, I'm going to whip through the rest of this. Another translation of the Bible is your next one. Um, I am most comfortable studying with ESV, but um, I like to consult the NIV and the New Living Translations because they're more common to me. Um, but other translations of the Bible will give you a different perspective. You wanna just be careful and steer clear of paraphrases like the message. You can consider a paraphrase, but we're gonna do that when we look at commentary. Um, so um, then the, the last step that she gives is outlining it. Once you've read through a text several times, you've looked up words, you've annotated it, you are ready to organize what you're reading into an outline. And this is gonna help you just to be able to remember the original purpose that the author wrote for. Um, not every single book of the Bible can be outlined neatly. Sometimes the chronology of the story can be confusing and then an author might address it in more than one topic or in more than one passage. So your outline really doesn't have to be exhaustive, but you're just really trying to organize what's happening. Um, and again, it's leaning toward interpretation. All of these, these things, we're looking for understanding what does the text say. Um, Jen Wilkins says that there are three different pitfalls, and this was on her podcast, three different pitfalls um, in the comprehension stage. And she says the first one is we get into too big of a hurry. And so maybe you don't spend enough time reading a text. She says if you hurry, you're going to then base your interpretation on something that really isn't there. Or maybe you're going to pull out something that you think is central to the text, but maybe it really isn't. She said comprehension is the first building block. So she said you want to be really careful here um, or everything else, your interpretation and your application, they might be off if you neglect this first step. Um, the second is just being aware of existing biases that you might bring when you're reading a text. Maybe it's a really familiar text. Genesis 1 is really familiar to me. And so this was very hard for me to slow down and really consider um, that text. But, or maybe you've heard teaching on it. And so that one way of teaching what someone has taught is really sticks in your mind and you're overly familiar with it. So you just assume you already know what's here. And then she says the third pitfall is not talking about um, the text with others at this stage. Think about how often we love to talk about our interpretation or our application. We love to talk about those things. But do you talk about what you're, um, and I don't want to say observing, 
but really what you're observing about the text at this, at this stage. You know, I just noticed this is why it's here. So, you know, just like everything, this is a process. It's a process. The goal is building literacy for a lifetime, knowing God through the study of his word. And so within the process, there is going to be um, some freedom. The more you practice the steps, the more some of them, like I, for me, when I think about, I, I make a list of just wanting to know in First Peter, like, what are all the things that are said about salvation? Because there's a lot of information there in that text and in that first chapter. And so that just helps me to kind of pull together, like, am I really even understanding what is being said in this text. So you can do this in all sorts of smaller ways. Um, it could be that maybe in your in your time frame in your life, um, you're not doing any of these kind of organized things, but maybe you really are concentrating on just what Bryce is teaching in Galatians. I would still do the same thing. I would still print out Galatians and attempt whatever the three verses are to consider these three things and seek to have just some understanding of what the text says, if that's what you're concentrating, if that's the smaller bite that you're taking for this week. So I'm gonna pause right there. Denise is gonna come up and she's got some stuff that we're gonna talk through um, to apply what we're learning. Yes, sure. I, I usually use BibleGateway.com, okay. um, or if it's not BibleGateway.com, I put Bible Gateway and it comes up in my Google, but then I just scroll and paste it in the Word. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, if somebody else has a better, I'm not super techie, but it's never failed me yet. <laughs> so any other questions? I know that's, that was kind of like a... Can you give us the last few words? Yes. Five and six. No, no, oh, don't forget this is a process or a tool. Within the process, there's freedom. It is for freedom. We've been set free. So there's always freedom. But try to, even if you're somebody that goes, I, I prefer freedom more than process, try to work through process before you camp on freedom. <laughs>